Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. You're listening to Bay Curious. I'm Jessica Placek in for Olivia Allen Price. And this week, we've got a lot to talk about. It had a stinking whale of a problem. It turns out a hidden surcharge is adding insults to injury at the pump. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are going through an earthquake at this very moment. An earthquake. We're answering your questions about dead whales, stupid expensive gas, and earthquake weather. That's right, it's a Bay Curious lightning round. Stick around. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you, whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks. Our first lightning round question comes from Sarah Bell Lynn of Emeryville. Currently, I'm in my car, and I'm looking out at the waters. Since there have been at least 13 dead gray whales that have washed ashore in the Bay Area alone this year, I'm wondering what happens to the whales' carcasses. To help answer Sarah's question, we have science editor Danielle Venton. Hi, Danielle. Hi, Jessica. Okay, so before we can talk about the bodies... Do we know why these whales are washing ashore? What's causing them to die? Well, we have some idea. In the necropsies of the whales that have been found in our area, many are suffering from malnutrition, and some have also been killed by ship strikes, by hitting boats. And what happens to these bodies once they wash ashore? It depends a bit on where they're found. So the body is the responsibility of whoever's beach it is. Your beach, your dead whale. Now, in some cases, whales can be towed to a remote beach that's on Angel Island that is not accessible to the public and boats are not allowed to go there unless they have the right permits. And at this beach, the necropsies can be performed. And then also the whales can just naturally return to the environment, provide food for scavengers, which is, of course, how this naturally kind of historically would happen. Uh, They would be food for California grizzlies, California condors, Mm. many, many animals. 
Now, that's not always possible. So in some areas, they might be buried beneath the sand. In some cases, they are towed out to the ocean, where they may float at the surface for a little while and then eventually sink to the ocean floor. Right, but we got to push them out pretty far because the currents just want to push them back that's onto right. shore, yeah, right? Yeah, I heard that they need to go out <laughs> at least past the Fairlawns. That's not a short trip. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, this is not done without any oversight. So NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, um, provides permits for this and technical guidance. Um, but there are cases where the municipality still has to pay someone to do this work. No one can take their random, I don't know, sailboat out with a whale towing behind it. Yeah, no, that's definitely not allowed. Okay, great. (laughs) And I feel now that I have to bring up an example that a number of people know about with whale beachings. (laughs) Um, I'm talking about Oregon. So can you... No discussion of dead whale bodies is complete without talking about the... uh, The exploding Oregon whale. The Oregon State Highway Division not only had a whale of a problem on its hands, it had a stinking whale of a problem. This was in 1970 uh, in Florence, Oregon, where a whale washed up on the beach. What they decided to do was to put dynamite in it in the hopes that this would then break the body into many little pieces and seagulls would be able to come and clean it up. The sand dunes there were covered with spectators and land lubber newsmen shortly to become land blubber newsmen. But it did not go according to plan. The whale exploded over an area of 800 feet. Blubber flew in all directions. A large piece totaled a car. And it didn't even get rid of the entire carcass. A large piece was left over that they had to push out to see. This is just so absurd. And so obviously this has not been repeated since. No, it must have seemed like a good idea at the time. But this (laughs) is not how we dispose of whale carcasses anymore. Well, you heard it here. If it's your beach, it's your dead whale. But please don't blow it up. All right. Thank you so much, Danielle Venton. My pleasure. Our second question is one I ask every time I fill up my car. Why is gas in the Bay Area so expensive? Bay Curious listener Dave wants to know why he's paying around four bucks a gallon while his friends in the rest of the country are paying a lot less to fill up their tanks. Joining me to help answer this one is reporter Ryan Levy. Hello. Hi, Ryan. So... Is it more expensive here in the Bay Area? Yes, that is not our imaginations. It is definitively more expensive in the Bay Area. Uh, right now, the nationwide average, about two seventy a gallon. Uh, <gasps> yeah, yeah, they're paying two seventy out there. Here in California, three eighty. Three eighty. In the Bay Area, it's gonna be closer to four if you're in San Francisco. If you're lucky and you can get to Solano County, you can fill up for like three seventy-five. That's your best bet. And that is what I do. Every time I'm in Solano, I see their gas prices and I'm like, fill her up. <sighs> okay, so why is this? Why is our gas so expensive? So to get this answer, I talked to Severin Bornstein. I am faculty director of the Energy Institute at Haas School of Business. He said for most of this, it's about gas taxes and the environment. Uh, so in California, 
we've got a gas tax of about 56 cents a gallon right now. That's going to go up another 5.6 cents on July 1st. Uh, and then we have a bunch of environmental regulations. So uh, these numbers are always changing. But right now, we're paying an extra about 14 cents a gallon because of cap and trade. Um, and then another 13 cents per gallon because of what's called the low carbon fuel standard. Uh, and that's something that specifically targets fuel makers and requires them to limit greenhouse gas emissions in their production, transportation, and use of fuels. Uh, and on top of that, Whoa. there's more. <laughs> okay. uh, we're paying another about 5 to 10 cents per gallon uh, because we actually have to use a special gasoline formula uh, that produces less air pollution. Um, and so all these things, this is a lot of money, obviously, that we're spending extra. But Severin Bornstein would be quick to point out that we get some real benefits from paying for these programs. The studies have shown that California has been able to much more effectively clean up our air quality. If you're in the middle of Los Angeles and you look towards the mountains, you now see the mountains. Uh, which wasn't the case 30 years ago. So, you know, it might cost us a lot, but it does have some benefits for us. Okay, so we have taxes and the environment. Is there anything else making our gas expensive? There is. Okay, let's hear it. <laughs> so uh, the gas tax and the environmental regulations, those account for half, a little more than half at uh, any given point of the differential between what we're paying for gas and what folks in the rest of the country are paying. Uh, the rest of that difference, though, we don't know what's causing it. Uh, Severin Bornstein has been looking at this for a long time. He doesn't know what it is. Uh, he has a fun name for it. The mystery gasoline surcharge. And it's been around since about 2015. That's when uh, there was a big refinery explosion in Torrance, California, just south of L.A. The thunderous explosion at the ExxonMobil refinery in Torrance was so strong. My house shook the window. So when we have these outages, uh, prices usually spike for a month or two before they, they can kind of settle down and we can get uh, the product flowing again. The weird thing in 2015 was that just didn't happen. Uh, and in fact, ever since then, we've seen this additional differential. This unnaturally inflated gas prices that there's really no clear explanation for. Um, so all this sounds terrible for my wallet. Uh, is there anything that can be done that we can do around this? Severin Bornstein does have a few recommendations about how uh, we can make it hurt a little bit less. One thing one can do is shop around more. Go to those off-brand stations. Go to Costco. Go to Safeway. Don't pay that extra charge at the Shells or the Valeros. Um, also plan ahead. Don't find yourself in downtown San Francisco trying to buy gasoline. You know, if you're in Solano County and you see some cheap gas, go ahead and buy that. Uh, and the other thing he says is buy a fuel-efficient car. If you buy a car that gets 30 miles to the gallon instead of 20 miles to the gallon, that is the equivalent of cutting the price of gasoline by a third. Got it. Okay. So for me, take the bus more. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Ryan Levy. Anytime. Happy to do it. And now down to the peninsula for our final question. I'm Hiro Sato, and I'm from San Mateo. Hiro noticed during the recent heat wave, a lot of people were calling it earthquake weather. Is this a real thing? What are the origins? Is there actually any correlation between weather and earthquakes? So here in studio with me to help answer this question is science editor Craig Miller. Hello. Hey, how are you doing, Jessica? Hi, I'm good. Um, so what is earthquake <laughs> weather? <laughs> well, 
I think it may depend on where you live. I think there are different notions of it around the world, but it does seem to be a sort of a, a, a myth that sort of persists um, in different places. In California, the notion of earthquake weather is typically that it's a little, maybe a little warmer than usual and still that there's a lack of wind. It's almost kind of like this eerie calm before the storm kind of feeling. Which, if you look back at um, the Loma Prieta earthquake, for example, in 1989, which was in October, um, the weather was, I think, as I recall, because I was here, was kind of like that. Oh, spooky. So is it true then? No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. So it's all folklore. Yeah, yeah. You know, he asked about the origins of this, and I, I don't know. I don't know if anyone knows. I would love to to research that myself, actually. Um, a couple of years ago, a contributing geologist to KQED wrote a piece on this, kind of kind of postulating that that stillness in a place that is usually pretty breezy kind of gives one a sense that the earth is holding its breath. And so it kind of causes us to hold our collective breaths, you know, and, and wait and, and wonder what's, what's next. But no, earthquakes are a geological thing and not a meteorological thing, and there is no known connection uh, between the weather and earthquakes themselves. However, in yeah. your reporting, you found an interesting twist on this myth a little bit. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, and this dates back to the, the six-point earthquake that was in Napa. Tonight, after a 6.0 earthquake rattled northern California's wine country. A scientist at the University of Nevada started looking at what happened with that and comparing it to where the groundwater reserves were in that area seasonally as groundwater aquifers filled up in the wintertime and in the spring, and then as they were sort of depleted later in the season. When groundwater starts to get depleted, especially in agricultural areas, what happens then is that the reduced weight of that water or pressure, the reduced pressure of that water underground, may be releasing faults so that they're more likely to slip. And that there was even a suggestion in the study that this may have played a role in the Napa earthquake. So while there's no earthquake weather there, yeah, there could be an earthquake season. And that the season could be in the late summer and early fall. That is wild. And if you go back and you look at when the Napa quake happened, it was late summer, August, right? And then Loma Prieta, October, you know, it was during that time of year when uh, the the groundwater is, you know, lessening in its pressure, yeah. Who knows? Well, thank you so much, Craig Miller. I hope that clarifies something. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Okay. And what did our question asker hero think of all this? Good to know that there is no correlation between the weather and earthquakes. But to think about it and then to uh, be prepared, that's uh, that's always a good thing, right? Do Do you have an earthquake kit? Well, I do. Man, you're ahead of me. I've been I've been thinking I really need to get one, especially after this story. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. That's it for today's show. Thanks to Sarah Bellin, Dave, and Hiro Sato for their questions this week. And thanks to Severin Bornstein, Danielle Venton, Ryan Levy, and Craig Miller for their knowledge. This was one of Craig Miller's last stories before he retired. Craig, best of luck in your next chapter. Olivia Allen Price will be back next week. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at KQED. I'm Jessica Placek. Have a good one. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? 
Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.